Prado looking, throws it, alley, oh! Welcome into the Just Basketball Show for Monday, September 25th. I'm Brendan Clean. That over there is Chris Manning. We are back for more basketball talk, NBA, WNBA, team previews. We have all of it for you. Follow us, subscribe to us. If you have not already, give us five stars wherever you are listening or watching. Hit subscribe on that YouTube channel, all that good stuff. Wherever you are, social media-wise, we are inevitably also there as well. TikTok, Instagram, X. We have a Facebook account that I don't think we've ever posted on, so if you'd like to hit like on there go ahead and do that before we get to damian lillard and the latest reporting i want to tell you guys about homage an ultra comfortable specialty apparel company with nba and wnba licenses that uses vintage inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories traditions and figures across sports and pop culture use the link in our bio in our show description to make your purchase support the just basketball show i feel like a lot of people have october birthdays chris september october just Mm -hmm. buy a shirt buy a hoodie buy a nice hat something for a loved one use our link i mean we get some of that look it's getting cold if you're not where brendan lives because he lives in he lives certainly i I look i had a nice fallish day cleveland ohio Mm -hmm. walked around i had a cleveland Cleveland football you contributed to their win i did absolutely not um I, it's, I can't even get the little homage H. H in there. Yeah, looks kind of like you're advertising the Apple Watch. We don't have an Apple sponsorship, but we do have an homage. Sponsorship. Not yet, not yet, but not look, yet. Not with that kind warm. of thinking. It's and it's look. It's NBA season, WNBA season. Mm-hmm. You know, in the playoffs. But if you want like a Phoenix Suns hoodie, a Detroit Pistons hoodie, should go buy one. All the throwback homage. stuff, all oh. the NBA yeah. Jam stuff. It's great. Oh, uh, yeah. All right, let's yeah. get to. Damian Lillard, I do not have my Jimmy Butler homage shirt on. I've worn it many, many times since the uh, rumors first came out, hoping that the time I wore it, maybe the trade would come and I would really just nail the timing. And today I just finally bailed on it. But there is news. There is chatter regarding Damian Lillard. I think where we should maybe start, Chris, because the actual pertinent part related to Lillard is two things. Both from Mark Stein, although one of them is Mark Stein aggregating Brian Windhorst, which I thought was pretty, uh, pretty great because, you know, Wendy hates that. So Stein had it that the Toronto Raptors have convinced numerous teams, this is a quote, around the league that their interest in trading for Lillard is genuine. The uncertainty at this point stems more from gauging Toronto's true willingness to push all the way forward with its Lillard pursuit when it's believed that the all-star guard behind the scenes remains so resistant to the idea of becoming a Raptor. We also had, of course, this week, the weird report that he would ask for a subsequent trade if he ended up somewhere that wasn't Miami, which is just goofy. But the part about, uh, the part from windy chris that i think is really mm-hmm. probably the single most important piece of news that didn't get enough attention this week and this is another quote from Windhorse this time the one thing i think that maybe has been miscast from the start is i don't think the heat are desperate at all to trade for damian lillard i think they want to trade for him but i don't think it's something that if they don't get it done wrecks their season there's a tremendous desire from the heat's fan base to acquire damian lillard later but i don't think the heat has ever approached it like it's the be all end all i don't think the heat and blazers have engaged in talks we knew that there has been a misjudgment in the way it's all viewed that this is something that he'd have absolutely got to get done i don't think that they view it that way is he going to be a raptor i think this opens the door for that the door the door feels very much for damian lillard to go to toronto and that's not something I really expected, to be honest with you. 
what I don't get about this, Brendan, I think more than anything else is I think if the I get why the Heat would believe in their culture and feel that way. Mm-hmm. I kind of think they're wrong. Yeah. I think they're wrong. Like, I understand you believe in our culture, be able to find guys. You need to just go get star-level players. You have to go yeah. trade for them. You don't have anyone that's closest internally. And I know Dame's 33, but guess Jimmy Butler's 34. He's going to be 35. He just turned 34. Okay? This is not someone where you have five years left at like a prime like you your window is now bam is in his bam not as at his like maybe at his apex but bam out of bio is 26 like ready to win his, he's ready to win this your best other two best players are ready to win it's kind of the, the right situation to just say f it we need to go get dame yeah. And believe and then and then use this belief you have in your culture to support everything else Mm-hmm. Like they maybe they are looking at the last year's playoff run as like proof of concept. I think that's the wrong lesson. I think I don't think that's a lesson you should learn. The lesson you should learn is we have something really great here that no one else can really replicate, that no one else knows how to do. But it's time to to do what we've done in the past: go get stars that get you to the finals, and then believe in this thing we've developed over time to round out the roster and give ourselves the best chance to win. That that's it. End of the day. I think they're misreading the situation if that's really what they believe. Yeah, I, it, that was exactly my read on it. I to hear that they're not in a hurry to do this. That honestly, like I, I hate to get so conspiratorial right away, but it's like I just maybe wonder if that's posturing from Miami that that got through to Windy. I, I tend to think Windhorst avoids that type of stuff, but we know he has relationships in the Heat organization, and I just wonder if they're just bluffing really well because. Everything, not only with what you just said, which I think was all all incredibly true, and they, their best seasons have come with star players. Like, they can pretend otherwise, but they've won championships with Shaquille O'Neal, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, made the final with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. That's the God-honest truth. Their best season of the Jimmy era came because they made a trade for Andre Iguodala. They wanted to get Danilo Gallinari. They got Jay Crowder, and their season turned around. This is not something that's just driven by you know, a Nikola Jokic level second round gold mine that they hit and developed because no, they develop role players. And so I just think it, it honestly feels like it must be posturing um, as a result of that. But the other part of it that I think speaks to why they can't possibly believe that is that all their off season has been pointed in the other direction, right? They let Max Struess go. They let Gabe Vincent go. They have a rotation now. I mean, their starting lineup, most likely, you have Butler, you have Hero, you have Martin, and you have Bam, and then I would assume Josh Richardson, right? And then bench-wise, you're rolling back the hits, you know? It's it's Lowry, it's Duncan Robinson, maybe Nikola Jovic is ready to play, it's, it's Thomas Bryant, it's Kevin Love. Like, we just spent two months marveling at the fluke of a team like that making the NBA finals for them to think that's ever going to happen again with potentially even less talent. You know, they obviously would get hero back, but they lost two key players in that and and didn't really replace them. Like that feels crazy. So I kind of just can't believe that they would believe that they would believe that they're flying high, but there is the other part of it, which is that they could be keeping their powder dry for, Giannis or something else. I kind of don't. I, I we didn't plan if we were going to discuss that. I kind of don't want to. Um, no. But from Toronto's standpoint, 
that makes perfect sense. They have, we were going to do the Raptors preview today and I spent a lot of time watching and thinking about the Raptors and they have a Damian Lillard sized hole in their team that Fred Van Vliet left for them and Dennis Schroeder is not going to fill for them and they don't want to tear down. So if you're not going to tear down and you need more scoring from your perimeter rotation and you have the salaries to make a trade, going and get Damian Lillard, even if he costs a lot and is 34, kind of makes perfect sense. So I, I, buy that this could happen if if the heat are going to be stubborn again like they were with kevin durant then i think toronto could swoop in and make something happen as long as they're willing to give up what they're going to need to give up look the the moment is now for these trades in my mind i think you just at a certain point got to go for it i think there's a certain point where you just have to pursue this i think there's certain points where if you're miami even if you're tantalized by the next big thing who might be better I think you got to go for it. I think the same thing for the Knicks as well, right? Like, I think these. I think sometimes you just got to be like, let's go get the A plus talent. You think the, the Knicks A-level should get talent. Dame? I don't love that. No, no, no. I meant like I meant last summer with Mitchell. I kind of oh, was just Donovan. like, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I like if you, even if you have concerns, even if you're like, could Joel Embiid be available in a year? Could Giannis be available in a year and a half? I get it. Like, I get waiting for those guys, but at a certain point, I just want to go get the good players and try to win basketball games. Like at a certain point, yeah. I really just think sometimes you got to just. Like carpe diem, man. Live for today. Let's ride. In Toronto, if they do it, I would get it. I don't necessarily know if mm-hmm. I would 100% like love. Like the Kawhi, if there's like a, if you look at the Kawhi thing, that worked out for them. They won a title. I don't know if you put Dame in this, if you're getting the same ROI, right? Like I don't know if you're getting the same return and same success. I also kind of, I would feel trepidations if I'm them about Dame's salary. I just would. I, th- I think you could feel nervous about that as he hits his age. But I would also get it to say, like, hey, let's get a guy who was all NBA caliber last year, who's better than what f- what Fred was for us, who's definitely better than Schroeder, who could really make us someone to be reckoned with in the East, which will be really competitive. But we we believe in Scotty. We believe in you know wh- wh- whoever you can keep, whether it's OG or Pascal or whatever. I would get it just to say, go for it. Why not? You know, and that and there's that is an organization that has also proven it can pivot if it doesn't work out. Yeah, the Heat can win a championship with Damian Lillard. I might even pick them to win the championship with Damian Lillard. So to your point about do what it takes to get it done, I don't understand. It would be one thing if this was the Jazz or the Thunder or the Rockets who have been uh, pep stacking first round picks and young players and all this. That type of a trade, the first move is one that you should be patient with. The last move is not one you should be patient with. And I think the same can kind of be said for the Raptors, although they're in a weird spot because they've just they're okay with being in the middle in a way that not a lot of other franchises are. So they're not as easy to stack and say they're you know rebuilding or they're tearing it down or they're all in. Like they're kind of all of those things and none of those things all the time. But the thing with the salary from Toronto's standpoint is they really don't have anybody that they're married to long term like maybe that portal salary is is a little tough to deal 
in a couple of years. You know, I, I think they they maybe slightly overpaid him. That's that's fine though. It's only twenty million dollars. Pascal Siakam is on an expiring contract. He may or may not be in that trade. I would think probably is not part of that trade because you get a lot worse if you if you lose him. You're probably talking about something centered on OG Ananobi as the best player going out. Maybe a couple of other of their young guys like Precious or Grady Dick or whatever, like you were saying. And Coloco, I think, has some potential. And then uh, a bunch Grady, of picks, right? Grady, so Grady, Grady Dick in Portland seems like seems right. Sure. Yeah. He seems uh, he seems ready for it. So like if that's what it is, you figure out the Pascal thing. There is the potential that you have two guys on close to supermax types of deals. It's not ideal, but that's why you're good at drafting and and sign veteran role players the way that Toronto does. Like you have Pirtle, you have Gary Trent, you have Schroeder still, you obviously have Scotty Barnes, who would be a major part of that team. And, you know, whatever the rest of their rotation ends up looking like. So I I do think the the salary it's like it'd be stupid to ignore it, but their books are are kind of cooked up right now in a way where the time is sort of now. You know? Mm-hmm. Um so let me just ask you if if I think we agree on Miami being one of the title favorites if they got the Lillard thing done for roughly what we assume the package would be. Are the Raptors? No, I don't think so. I, I don't. So think. what's different? Why not? No Butler, no Bam. No, but, I th- no Butler, no Bam. I think that's as simple as that. I think Scotty has something to prove for your three. He's also really young. I think Siakam is really good. I don't think he's as good as Jimmy. I don't think it's close. I think Siakam's really good. He's kind of he's a combination Jimmy. of Siak uh, of Jimmy and Bam. It's I mean he's not as good as either one, but it is kind of funny. He he does a little bit yeah. of what each of them does. Yeah, yeah. And I this isn't like if you go back to the, look. Some of this was based on the Kawhi injury stuff and his contract situation. But when they traded for Kawhi, it was Demar, Jakob Pertl, and a 2019 pick. Yeah. That like this would be a little bit more that's, of a cutting. That's like, an L on the Spurs side. Like that that's just an all time head scratcher though, you know? Yeah, I mean, but then, you know, we're we're only four years later, which nuts or so I mean five years later from that trade, which seems about ten years ago. And yeah, it does. they have Victor Wembanyama now, so like <laughs> worked out. Light years ahead. But, light years ahead. I'm gonna say well, no. so the other Here, I Yeah. Would, no, I think would you're you right. have them would you go I would you say it's like then Boston let's just say they get Dame. OG's the big piece. They trade out some of the other like filler and they keep Scotty. Do you think they can get Dame without I don't think they have to give up Scotty. That that feels No. No. A that, leg a lot. They would, yeah. No, because Miami doesn't have like a Scotty level prospect to counter with. Like that's exactly. not on the table anywhere else. So but would you so like I would have Boston and Milwaukee ahead of them. Right? Okay. Sure. And then and then it's like I think a, a pack of like Toronto and I guess Miami just because like they're going to be there, and I just don't want to count them out ever again. And Cleveland and New York, and they're kind of in that tier. And like the and like the Sixers have to be in there as well, just because they have Joel Embiid. But like that situation's also weird, and I don't know how to talk about them. Like I think Toronto would be right behind Boston and Milwaukee, maybe even with Cleveland. That that's kind of where I would see things. I do yeah. think it's fair to say that this team is is not incredibly deep in a way that a championship team needs to have answers for every type of opponent, every type of injury stretch. They just, it, it would be a pretty strong pivot from how 
young they are and everything else that a lot of their guys are, oh, maybe he's this, like, let's try them in this kind of lineup. Like that's been their, that's been their approach for a few seasons now. So it would be a jump, especially to do it in September when you don't exactly have like, oh, let's get the minimum guys at the end of the bench that'll make us feel even better about ourselves. Like that that opportunity is also passed. So it would be hard for the Raptors to jump into that that very top stratosphere when you're looking at Boston who has like four starting level guards and two all NBA caliber scoring forwards and three all-star caliber centers. You know what I mean? Like that, that's hard to compete with. But I think, just the core of Lillard, Siakam, Barnes, Pirtle, like that's a four that makes sense together, provided that Barnes can continue to, to develop and is old enough that you would feel like it's ready to to compete, at least the, the Lillard, Siakam part of it. So I would do it if the price is right for Toronto, if it's something like Ananobi, a couple of their other young guys and picks. But I also kind of think the Heat can beat that offer if they really want to. And again, I do not understand why the Heat wouldn't want to beat that offer. I do not understand at the end of the day why the Heat wouldn't just throw it all in for Dame. I don't get it. I just, I so, just you, could, you can't convince me that's not a good idea for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Ananobi, as far as where he is pay-wise, he's already, and, and overlap with Jeremy Grant and stuff like also not a perfect centerpiece for Portland, you know, in a, in a vacuum either. Speaking of Portland and, and, and whatever else is going on here, what jumps out to you? Jake Fisher had a lot of good reporting. There's been other stuff elsewhere about the other machinations at play when you're hearing Utah, you're hearing Chicago, you're hearing Phoenix, Indiana. What are the what are the parts of this that you feel like are most interesting, most surprising, most likely to happen? Like, where's your head go? I mean, the sun stuff is interesting just because you're in a situation where there is all this public posturing by Frank Vogel about wanting to help Don Drayton turn a new leaf and mending that relationship and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you're maybe just going to like jettison him in Portland. I think I could understand, like, even if he's not worth a max, I don't think he got one. And I think, like, for a young team, just having that kind of center wouldn't be bad for them. You know, I think there's like just an innings eater for them. I could understand that if they like him. And maybe the environment mm-hmm. does him well. But I, I, where does that leave the Suns, who are a legitimate title contender? Are they going to, would they really like bring in Yusuf Nurkic as the article kind of frames and be like, hey, we're going to play him as a rim protector? And like, there's nothing in Yusuf Nurkic's last like three seasons that would give you hope that he's able to play the championship level right now as a starting center. I, I would be, that, that to me is quite interesting. And then the hero stuff, obviously. I, I, he's going to end up somewhere that is in Portland, is what this feels like if, if and when Dame ends up Miami. Yeah. And Utah would Utah kind of being the leader makes some sense. I think they have other guys they would impact as well. And so you know, would would the I guess like the the, the Bulls interested make sense to me. The Hornets interested didn't make a ton of sense to me either. Unless Rozier's going to end up somewhere else, and I would maybe do that if I was them. The Nets interest could make some sense. Like there there are teams that I think should want Hero. But I'm I, the Jazz one would would make a lot of sense, and I think if they believed he could. Get developed Does it? for them. You I think, think the Utah thing makes sense? I don't know what the hell the Jazz would be doing if, if they got here. I mean, again, it's it's sort of like Collins, where it's like if, if you have to give up a bad first and you have like yeah. 400 of those, then why not? But it's also like there is a basketball team 
and you're trying to theoretically like make your young players better and develop and win and all those things at the same time like value trades don't really matter when you know not to be like a sports radio guy, but like that doesn't matter when they throw the ball up at center court where it's like, well, John Collins was a great trade. It's like, okay, but so what, you know, Tyler hero, great value. Okay. What is he doing for well, your okay. team? Yeah, no, that's fair. And they have a lot of guards. Um, I, you, you, do you want to roast me for what I texted you? Who I, when the, when we started talking about this over text, who I, who immediately came to mind for me? Do you want to roast me? You for just have a lot mind? of care in your heart for Colin Sexton. <laughs> let's just, I just look. Let's just say that he's he's very important to you. <laughs> You know, important is a strong word, but I, I just, like, feel for a guy who just, like, is going to get buried and he didn't really do anything to, to get buried, you know? It's just, like, yeah. what happened here? It just, that's unfortunate. Here, and if they trade for Hero, like, he's just, like, no, he's not going to play. Like, if it's Clarkson, he's, like, the fourth guard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I do I like Hero really, in, I, in Charlotte a bit. I, I yeah, think that, I too. that does make some sense. I mean... Prayers up for Steve Clifford having to coach that team up defensively with, you know, Ball, Hero, Bridges, Washington, Mark Williams as as your five. That's it's a little dicey, but um, let's just close with the sun side of this. Okay. I, I think Yusuf Nurkic, if you look at some of the uh, deeper numbers, as far as contests and field goal percentage allowed at the rim and stuff like that, being seven feet tall and playing drop coverage against the pick and roll and just planting himself as a Roy Hibbert 2023 edition for Frank Vogel. Like, I, I think the theory of that is not the most crazy thing if you're getting other pieces that make sense. And the the salary structure that works would be that they're most likely, if this version of the deal went down, they're getting TJ McConnell and Caleb Martin. And like, those guys great like that that fills some holes that the suns have um but it just thins them out and makes them less versatile in a way that i would be really worried about you know it's not even a Jokic thing but you just look around even in 2023 you have to have size and to just kind of punt on that would would feel very strange even if we know they don't care to keep Aiton around anymore and they don't want to invest so much at the center spot and yada 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 it's like all right well it's september so your options are limited at this point and do you really want to roll in like you said to a season with Yusuf Nurkic being a, a starting anything for you just given his history lack of athleticism and everything else injury wise like that's just adding another question mark that i think is not necessary but they clearly feel like Aiton is a huge question mark in and of himself so maybe there's not a great option and they're just trying to pick the better one it's just there's so much at stake just so so much at stake and you, as you know you've covered it really well on lockdown sun so like i don't, I don't need to hammer this to you well, but i mean what would you so, do like do would you make if if the trade is eight they from this phoenix standpoint if the trade is they send out Aiton and they get martin mcconnell and nurkic would you do that? I would. Pro- I would probably do it just because I think Martin and McConnell is such like a boon to your wing, and like you, your wing and guard rooms in a way that I think would be really useful. I think McConnell in particular would be an awesome fit for them and provide like a real need for them. But I would also be like calling every veteran minimum center I could and being like, "Do you want to live in Phoenix?" 
and there's nobody left if you really look at it. Plus, they they've their roster is weird at the end where they already kind of gave some of those to Bull Bull, and like they have Chemezi Metu is on their team, and like it it's it's in a weird spot. I, I I'm I'm curious to see what they do there. I think either way is a risk keeping Aiden. It's not like we could just pretend like that's like you know. Well, Biombo still. I mean, on, still a free agent, no? He is, but like, he didn't even play like, against Denver. It, like, okay, but like, if you're gonna get a minimum guy and your options, here's some of the names uh, that are on uh, spot rack: Bismack Biombo, mm-hmm. Blake Griffin, Kaminsky, William Hernan Gomez, yeah. and that's the one I like the most. Yeah, I. That's probably the good one. Gorgie Jean, Gomez, Dwayne. Dwayne, Dayton, Deadman, Myers, Leonard, and Willie Colley Stein. Yeah, I, I yeah, Biombo and, and Hernan Gomez are probably the only two playable ones in there, and I would probably lean Hernan Gomez. But I mean, that speaks to the that's that's rough. Like you're talking about a championship team, and I'm saying Willie Hernan Gomez's name. That's that's a, a weird spot to be in. Um, all right, any any last thoughts on this whole saga? It, it feels like it'll wrap up yeah. relatively soon. Here's the last thing. Yes or no? Does this get done before we get media days, which is in a week? That's the other part of this, and yeah. I think it's hanging over this. Okay, I agree. I think. Well, we, yeah, I, because it, also training camp starts the next day, right? So it just doesn't. It this does. It does not benefit anybody, but particularly the Blazers, to have this hanging over their franchise when training camp starts. Yeah. No, not at all. All right, on to the WNBA playoffs. We had two game ones on Sunday. We'll answer a key question about each one i think is the best way to do this they were both relatively lopsided games the connecticut sun the lower seed went on the road and beat the new york liberty in front of a pretty great barclays center crowd despite the ugly game uh 78 to 63 my question on this one chris is just how does this change your expectations for the series and obviously as a result of that the liberty's path to what we both predicted heading into this whole thing would be a championship for new york I think it should give you some concern. I think they look tired in a way that was a little bit odd. You know, I, you texted, we were texting about this. You said Stewie's looked tired for weeks, and she was 7-25, 0-8 from 3, and played 37 minutes. That's, that's a yep. concern. I think absolutely you could see the, the gas tank um, being a little troublesome for them. I mean, but, you know, all at the same time, if you look at just how this game broke down from their best player, Sabrina was 4-14 from the field did make a single two-point attempt. You kind of expect that to get better for game two. You know, Laney was 1-9, 0-3 from three. Expect that to get better. Stewie just didn't make a three. You kind of just not expect that to happen again either. Um, so I, there's, like, stuff you just expect to get figured out. But certainly concerning. I mean, the Sun came out, won the first quarter, lost the second, did not look good in the second. Liberty's best quarter was by far the second, and then the Sun kind of blew this open in the third had a 13 point advantage in the third and they didn't even get you know a plus games i think from Dwana bonner or Alyssa thomas or anyone really like they, this is not a team that got great performances either so if you're the sun i think you should feel pretty darn good about what you had there and if you're the liberty i would i would definitely be a little bit more concerned than i was coming into game one yeah i think everything kind of went right for connecticut in the box course from a box score standpoint right so they stay even with New York on the glass. They turn New York over and they get the ball is just moving and 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 
the sum is greater than its parts offensively in the half court in a way that New York's wasn't. You know, you can look at 20 assists to 17, but, you know, especially Alyssa Thomas with 10, that's just, that's, that's an indicator that everything is cooking for them when she's able to find open teammates consistently. And then the thing for them is always the perimeter, right? So when you get a big first half offensively from Tiffany Hayes. She had five fouls, so didn't play much the rest of the way. And then you get six of 10 combined from three from Rebecca Allen and, and Natasha Heideman, then that's kind of it. And then uh, Rebecca Lobo pinpointed it really well on the broadcast saying that Olivia Nelson Adota being able to come in and, and play defense and rebound the way that she did allowed her to guard Jonquil Jones. And then you saw immediately the impact that that allowed Dewana Bonner to start to have as an offensive player. And she went absolutely off in the second half and was a big part of why they, they got that separation because she wasn't having to guard somebody who has like 50 pounds on her or whatever it is right so uh everything sort of stacked up in the right way i think this series won't be easy my answer to that question as far as how it changes our expectations is probably not a lot i would expect new york to win game two take care of business and i think if this series went five it wouldn't surprise me but i don't think it would have surprised me before this game either so Stewie has to be better. Maybe you see them put the ball in Sabrina's hands a little bit more. I think they need to just play their bench more, period. Like, just roll with it. Like, you can't can't run everybody into the ground. The W playoffs aren't long, but they're also, you know, there's still six more wins before you, you got a title on your hands, so you can't be playing everybody 40 already. Um, but we'll see. All right. Aces beat the Wings 97 to 83. Did not look difficult. I thought this was the best ball movement game that I remember seeing from Vegas since Candace Parker went down, maybe. I mean, that assist-wise, whatever, I'm sure there's people who watch every game that might feel differently, but it, it was just really, really crisp. 54-44-100 shooting night for them as a team, Chris. So question on this one, are the Aces overcoming our concerns about them? It is a performance like this coming off of the first round where they were also dominant start to make you feel like they are the, the real great dominant team that we always thought they were i feel like probably yes like i think if there's anything about these playoffs about the path they've been on so far is that they have just looked like they flipped the proverbial switch and are like okay the season is real now and let's just take care of business and they're getting great play from everywhere i mean asia wilson just dominated this game <laughs> Like mm-hmm. 34, 15 to 21 from the field, eight boards, four blocks. She she is unguardable with, with the biggest Dallas has to throw at her. She just is going to own this. It didn't matter that, like, Stokes took three shots, and it just it just doesn't matter that their bench is iffy. Like, the way Kelsey Plum played. What bench? The way G- yes. The way Jackie Young played, the way Asia Wilson played, the way Chelsea Griffith, those four players, but led by Asia. Mm-hmm. just kind of controlled the entire game and it was close for the first half and then the third quarter is just a bludgeoning and this team knows the gear it can get to. Um, I mean, the third quarter, the smile, like they had a sequence in the third, they got offensive rebound and they just swing it back to Kelsey Plum in the corner and she sticks a three and she's smiling. It's the, like this team knows it can hit this gear that his other team could match. And you also, I think Brennan felt the wings get kind of frustrated. I mean, this was not a good game for Enrique Ngumbawale. This was not a good game for Satu Sabali. This was not a good game for Natasha Howard. Their offense just didn't come. And I think you could feel the frustration for them in a way that you just never do with the aces. 
Yeah, to me, uh, the big key was the ball movement, like I said, but also the fact that the wings did not really dominate the offensive glass, right? Only three offensive rebounds for McCowan, three for Howard, one for Kalani Brown in 14 minutes, which is low for her. And then on the other side, you saw Stokes and, and Asia both really make their presence felt inside on the glass as well as just defensively in a way that negated what Dallas's obvious main advantage is. And of course, when they have their best two scorers, Sobley and, and Agumbawale go nine of 28, like you're just not going to win. So I think that Dallas will be better, but I think the fact that the aces were able to throw their first punch like this and not have to be kind of confronted with like, oh yeah, Dallas does all this stuff well and they're a good matchup for us and whatever, like let's bounce back. Like that that level, I mean, the confidence like you said about Plum, I think that's the part where it's like they they might not be as afraid of how they looked by the end of the season as we all were and like that can be ethereal and not matter. But I think in this case, losing Candace Parker, I'm sure is a little bit of a shock to the psyche. So to get over that and, and just prove to yourself that you can win, I do think that can go a long way. So I, I would agree with you. I think it's it's heading in the right direction. So this is going to be an interesting semifinals and interesting finals as the teams and kind of opposite directions yet again, flipping at the top. Uh, let's go on to the Chicago Bulls, our season preview for one of the more bleak teams as we texted about i think uh multiple times while we were doing our prep here and then again right before we hit record like this is up there with washington or down there with washington as just going to be a rough watch to a degree and not a lot of great optimism for the future my most important player to start us off is zach levine I don't think there's a lot to be said about Zach Levine that hasn't been said. They're obviously shopping him. We didn't mention Chicago in the Lillard conversation, but they're kind of lurking there. It seems like they want to get off of Levine's contract. But as far as what he is as a player, the thing that jumped out to me watching a couple of their games back, including the play-in game where he actually was pretty good, is he really still feels like he's best as a finisher. And I don't mean finisher like at the rim. I mean a play finisher. He just hasn't become the level of passer, of breaking down the defense from the perimeter with his with his dribble and turning that into a great shot consistently. That that's just not there for him in the way that it is for the other best guards in the league. And I think that's why their their team is not as great as you would like it to be. That's why he hasn't lived up to his contract. Then of course the defense isn't great, but I, I think we talk about Zach Levine as if he's kind of right there, but he's just like a ball hog or this or that. The conversation to me, it should just be that he can't create advantages for his team in a way that drives an awesome offense. And that's a big problem for how much money he's making and for whatever this team's going to be. So I don't think he can change that this year, but I, I just, I guess that's like the point I want to make about Levine and why I think it's going to be so hard to deal him if they want to. Yeah. I, I think he is someone that I could see being really great on like a third team. Uh, it's like a third star, excuse me, third star on like a good team, but I don't think he should be the driver of like a great team. I think the situation in Chicago, we've seen what that is. Um, and it's like, so for my, he is my answer for most important player was him or DeRozan. I think it's just you pick whichever one you think is just going to kind of walk into a bigger year that kind of drives the version of success this team has kind of put itself in the corner of. And or who you think is more likely to get traded. Well, and like, I. I 
if I here's I would answer that this way. It's like Levine. I could if I was a team that had a longer window, I could talk myself into it. Like if I was like I wouldn't do this if I'm the Kings, but like I could see that like a team like the Kings that is just kind of starting. You could be like, can we talk ourselves into this because he's a little bit younger and all this stuff. With DeRozan, it's like the Lakers are like would just be like like that. That's the kind of team where you make more sense to. Like they think they they feel different needs, but they're both kind of filling a similar role on this team where it's like handle the ball, score a bunch. We'll try to support you on defense, and maybe that can get us to like forty wins even without Patrick Beverly. So I might have the same most important player. It's either Levine or no chuckle up the Pat Beverly thing. If you because I don't know if you looked at the lineup data on this, Brendan. The Patrick Beverly, like, bonkers. Bonkers. He was great last year. I actually, like, he, he made a whole fuss because he likes to do that about not being brought back. But Loki, don't think he has a point. Like, yeah. they, the the small lineups with him and Caruso and then the, the Bulls fans call them the mid three. I don't know if you've ever seen that, which I, is yeah. just elite. Uh, but the, the small lineups with Caruso, Beverly, and the, the mid three were really good. Um, so I think Beverly, I mean, they replaced him with Javon Carter, right? But yeah, I think, I, but again, the difference between Namar and, and Zach is Damar is a creator. It's mostly for himself. I mean, he's improved as a passer, but it's mostly for himself. But he can stand at the elbow and create a shot you feel good about. Zach Levine, it's like, you know, often if he's getting to the basket, which he did improve his his rim frequency this past year, but a lot of the times that's coming off of he's attacking a broken defense. He's doing it off of a spot up. He's doing it in transition. He's doing it off of a handoff, whereas DeMar, it's like he can do it. So... Which of them has higher trade value to you? Levine. We have Demar making 29, 29 million on an expiring contract versus Levine making forty this year, forty three next year, forty six, and then forty nine. So he's under contract through twenty twenty seven, and he is younger, but he is what's his age? Uh, great, uh, cleaning the glasses, cutting off. Twenty nine years old. You think it's Levine? I do not think it's Levine. I think Levine is as close to untradeable as you could possibly get right now. Injury history, peaked as a player, cannot play defense. Yeah, I think think he might be up there as far as the most untradeable contract in the NBA. Not that I think DeMar has a ton of trade value either, but... You could... It's like one year. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Boy, that's I guess it's the Lakers, but I... What Clippers? reason do they really have to do that? Sure. Yeah. Some like Brendan, here's the thing that I, I think is just a universal rule of the NBA. When you sometimes you will think a team doesn't need to go in on their ball handler and score type, and then they'll be like, But yeah, we do. And they do it. <laughs> He's he will and be I on another DeMar. team before the end of that contract. Like Levine, Levine will yeah. be moved. Like I'm not saying un, untradeable is always goofy. It just means you have to attach something to him. I right. mean, Bradley you Beal got give traded. a pick. Yeah, exactly. Right. You have to usually you have to give up a pick, or something crazy has to happen. Nobody's literally untradeable, but yeah, it's uh, it's rough. But you had Levine as well, so I just I, I hate to move the conversation to trade so quickly, but like with Lonzo Where, Ball hurt and everything, should, it's yeah. like what's what else is there? Yeah, I agree. All right, player we're talking about by the end of the season. I have Patrick Williams, and I'm actually kind of excited to talk about him. I think 
he is a bright spot for this team. And because he is so young, I, I do still buy some of the potential here. I know that he's been relatively disappointing. He probably got overdrafted. I think Chicago's eyes got a little bit bigger, you know, than, than they should have with this guy pre-draft coming out of Florida State. But that said, his role has just fluctuated a ton. I think if you can just use Patrick Williams as a more athletic version of like a Jay Crowder, Dorian Finney-Smith, Marcus Morris, like these defense first fours who can shoot enough and he is more athletic and bigger than most of those guys. Like that's a valuable starting caliber player in the NBA. And he's again, still 22. So they've used him at center more lately. They've He's started to kind of level out as a shooter, it feels like. He, he's not trying to score off the dribble and, and that type of thing quite as much. Like, if they can just mold him into what he's going to be in the future, and I think they can this year, I like him. So, I guess all hope is not lost for the Bulls. Who did you have? I have Patrick Williams as well. I don't know who else you're picking on this team. Like honestly, like that, like that, that is much. This is much about like still believing in something if that Patrick Williams can be like a contributing player on a good team because he has the skill set and the size that like every team, some other team should be trying to like rehabilitate. Like you could tell me he got traded tomorrow to like the Pacers or like the Heat or like the Grizzlies or just someone else that's a little bit further along. Mm-hmm. And they're just like they figure it out with him for whatever reason or like pick a team with a great player development. But, he went to the Thunder and he just like became like useful for them. Like, okay, like wouldn't doubt it. There's not another young player on this team that I'm like, sign me up. There just isn't. Who else would you could you even talk yourself into? Dalen Terry didn't really show you like much as a rookie. Yeah, that's a the rough one. Are not- he got drafted more recently than Patrick Williams, and we're already saying like, yeah, probably not. That's a that's a whiff. They they loved it as I think we talked about with uh, Jack McMullen from the Just Sports family once. Like they pick exactly that player in every single mid first round for as long as Bulls fans can remember. It's Denzel Valentine. It's Chandler Hutchinson. It's Dalen Terry. And uh, honestly, like going for broke with Patrick Williams, I, I fantastic. Like why not? Um, so let's put it this way with with Patrick Williams. Can he be better than these two guys who have already gotten paid? DeAndre Hunter, Keldon Johnson. Could he have a better career on a winning team than those guys in the long run? Does he have a gold medal? No. Nor a national championship, which DeAndre has. Just in Charlottesville, nice town. I get why college basketball players maybe go there. It's a cool place. Um, I'm gonna say yes, but like, would I be confident in that? No. Like Kelvin Johnson has like his limits, but he's at least like we kind of at least more know what he is, and there's been a little bit more production. And DeAndre has been a lot more, more production. Volatile. Yeah, that's the one thing Kelvin has yeah. done. Scored. And yeah, and with DeAndre, there's I think like. Certainly, maybe more intrigue and upside, but it's been a little bit more volatile and up and down. We're going to talk with, uh, he's going to come up as a teaser when we talk to Brad Roland for Wednesday's show about the Atlanta Hawks. He's going to come up in that conversation. I am guaranteeing that. So I would say yes, but I wouldn't feel confident in that. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't feel confident in making that bet. Would you take him or would you take like Jalen Johnson? Patrick Williams or Jalen Johnson? Yeah. Um, probably Patrick Williams because I think 
he started playing like he needed to be a good spot up shooter sooner, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like whereas Jalen Johnson, it's like, I still don't know if he's at the point in his career where he's morphing into what he's going to be as the best version of himself. And I guess that's why the optimism is there for me with Patrick Williams in a way that I picked Hunter and Keldon specifically one, cause they've already gotten paid and their contracts are an interesting blueprint, especially as Williams heads into uh, extension talks right now um but also because those guys are what's holding them back is they hunt for their shot too much both of them uh keldon and and deandre so i kind of like you know it's not to say patrick williams doesn't do that but i like the version of him that as i compared the crowder the finney smith the marcus moore there's a ton of of examples you can point to it's like if he just is that but like a, a touch more athletic and that's a good player. So whereas those guys, it's like, can you please get out of the mid range and stop taking pull up jumpers? Like, please, you know? So, but you mentioned the Pacers. I had the question uh, in my notes, what happens if Patrick Williams is the move for Indiana over, we know they pursued Deandre Hunter. They obviously ended up getting Obi Toppin. Like take Patrick Williams out of Chicago. I think we maybe feel even more, excited if he's next to a point guard like Halliburton and has a center like Turner like so that's part of my intrigue as well as like you said maybe he gets traded I just think the potential is there I guess at the end of the day in a way that some of these other guys I don't think it is I mean he is he is 22 years old Mm -hmm. he 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 literally is like he just turned 22 this yeah. isn't like this is. He's played three NBA seasons and he's our, and he just turned twenty two. Yeah, that's why you draft somebody like that, right? Like, and like, and like, there is probably something to be said if we talk to teams about it, if we talk to, to organizations about it. Like, if they were to answer about this, it'd just be like, look, like, is there something sometimes challenging and troublesome? When you draft someone, I'm like, do you all? Is there like development being missed when like they aren't coming to you at 20? You know, when you get them so young, is there something that like can be harder about this and less linear? And then you're making financial decisions, and so it feels a little bit different than it might have 10 years ago. I think there's something to the idea that like drafting someone as young as he was when he came into the league, as high as he did, there there just are going to be warts. And this was a COVID draft. I mean, I, I think there's something to be said that like you come into the draft when he did the year he did I, I that's not exact that wasn't the easiest time in the world to to be like a normal rookie yeah that's i mean class. And that that just i think the bigger issue is that he was a late riser out of absolutely nowhere and went from like maybe he'll go in the lottery to like okay like hopefully you turn into a star because your draft status indicates you kind of have to for it to be worth it you know like going fourth overall was not in the cards for him when the pandemic hit for instance and then by october when the draft happens all of a sudden it is yeah it he i think more of the season should be about him but i also know that like they have DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine for now. They ha- they just paid Nikola Vucevic, so they're not going to just turn this whole thing into a development crusade. They have Alex Caruso. They have Javon Carter. They have Terry, uh, Torrey Craig. Like, 
this team wants to win. So maybe that helps him, like I said, solidify a role, but it is still going to be a little tough for him to kind of know and fit in and, and everything else with so many vets around. Uh, let's go on to best lineup. Last year, their best high volume lineup was, again, as I said a second ago, Beverly, Caruso, Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic. Who do you got for them this year? For this, I went Caruso, Levine, DeRozan, Williams, and Vooch. Okay. You know, I, 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 like, what else are you supposed to do here? It's like, give, give me the guard who can defend, put the two guys that you're banking on to score, put Pat Williams in there to be your kind of wing defender, and then Vooch can space and do Vooch stuff, and there you go. That, that, that's the recipe. And the versions of these this team that work are going to have two or three of these guys on the floor at all times. Like, they're going to be very dependent on these five guys being competent and healthy all year. Yeah, I know we argued about Vucevic plenty when the contract came out. I think he's underrated. I think he's a perfectly serviceable starting center. I think he's getting paid what he should. I think defensively, like I, I tend to judge this stuff. It's like, okay, is he a great postseason defender? Probably no. Is he more of an 82 game than a 16 game? Yes. But if he's been part of a top 10 defense in a way that's not super fluky and he's so versatile on offense, like the guy plays like a wing on offense. He He's on the perimeter. He's behind the three-point line at all times. He's driving to get his layups. He's taking threes. He's playing the dribble handoff game. Like I think that he is, uh, he is pretty good. And I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know, maybe he has a little bit of positive value on the contract, maybe like next year. I, I'm not sure about that, but at least neutral. I, I think he's somebody who can play on a good team. Um, my best lineup, I mean... You said, what else could you do? I just did the same thing as last year's, but, but put one new guy in who is kind of their replacement for Beverly. So my best lineup for the 2024 Chicago Bulls is Alex Caruso, maybe the best guard defender in the NBA and somebody who, if he starts to take even a few more threes, gets even more valuable. Contract is awesome, but that's not super important. Javon Carter, their replacement for Patrick Beverly, basically. You worry about if he can guard bigger the way that Beverly does. Beverly can guard forwards. Can Carter? Probably not, so that will limit them, but he's also a better shooter. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, they have to be out there. That is where their offense is going to come from. Ceiling's probably pretty low, but we know what they are. They've driven good teams in the past. Nikola Vucevic, very underrated player. I think he can move the ball. I think he can be an anchor of a serviceable defense at seven feet tall and play smart on both ends innings eater but good um as much as like they made the plan and stuff like that is pretty grim still chris i think like even if we're both trying yeah. to you know make our little optimistic cases about the five man units we've selected it's also just like okay well you know we know what the ceiling is so what's your best, best case, case? The best case is that somehow the defense that was fifth last year, like the defense was fifth. And I st- I, I understand mm-hmm. like I've read enough and like to listen to people talk about this where I think I kind of understand why, but it still just feels like bizarre to me to say the Bulls had the fifth ranked defense last season. I think you have to, that carries over um, even with some of the, the personnel changes and that like they just, that carries them to a lot of wins and then they just score enough to make it all work. That this was a team that, with I think buoyed by that defense, was four-ish wins better than their numbers suggested. So, like they like they're based on their net rating and stuff. They should have won four more games than they did. Um, but that's a very there's a to me, Brendan, the the thing with the best case, in a way that I don't think is the case with teams. I think some teams better than them, and then I think also teams with better young talent below them. 
I think their best case is just very thin, and it's very, there's like one path they can take. And I just I don't think that's I think that's like as much as we talk about like the middle quote unquote where you don't want to be, and maybe this is just the, what happens when you're in the middle. I think when your path to success is basically one path, one way things can go. And you don't have a lot of outs. I think that's when you get really stuck, and I think that's where I feel like the Bulls are right now. Yeah, I think that's well said. I just, you know, to me, like their best case has actually nothing to do with winning. I mean, what you're describing it was last year. Yeah. So are you? And is, is and that look repeatable? what that was. I mean, it doesn't even really matter if it's repeatable because, like, is anybody really going to say that's a best case, right? Like, so I just went the other direction. I said, best case is Chicago finally trades Levine and DeRozan, faces reality to get some actual young talent in the door, even if they don't fully bottom out, i.e. they probably keep Vucevic, they ca- probably can't move Lonzo, et cetera. But, uh, and then I had worst case, they chase the middle again, get a mediocre draft pick, and still have no clear vision for the future. Same. Like, they just have to get I honest with themselves. That Brennan, that you're saying the thing that all like most NBA teams just like seemingly refuse to do. It's uh, you're saying teams. We know who it is. It's the old guy who runs things, right? It's the old guy with the money. That's who doesn't want to get bad. <laughs> sure, sure. In every case, I'm not even saying Chicago. I mean, I think it's a it's like a testament to a good GM if they're able to convince an owner to be bad. Yeah. All right. I think that's fair. I, I, I just here. Let me let me ask you one thing. What is what do you from last year defensively with all of these we said and like even with Pat the Pat Bev stuff and you know Jeff Conker. What about like is this team? Do you think they can go back to just being a top ten defense? I'm not even going to say top five again, but can I this think team they could top ten defense again? Okay. Yeah, because, well, so they're deep and they're old, right? So that helps off the top. Not old, but they're veteran, right? So like Javon Carter, Torrey Craig, those guys have now been brought in to fill some of what they lost. They have Vucevic, who again, I think is serviceable enough. They also still have Andre Drummond. So that is a floor that is hard to ignore. Team shot poorly on corner threes against them last year. So we were talking about that with, well, we will be talking about that with the Pelicans after this. Um, But they turned teams over at a really, really high level, which a lot of that, again, was Beverly and Caruso. They rebound really well, whether that's Drummond or Vucevic. And they just contest, you know, like they switch one through four. Drummond and Vuce are more mobile than like your average center all things considered, you know, like more mobile than a Yusuf Nurkic, who we were just talking about with Phoenix, right? Or something like that. So, I mean, obviously a lot of this stuff is variable, but I think as long as they can force the turnovers and, and rebound, I do kind of trust that. I don't know if it'll be, yeah, top five. Okay. Like maybe whatever, but they could be top 10. They could be at least definitely top half of the league. I would, I would think, because, like, at the end of the day, Levine and DeRozan, I think DeRozan's fine. I think Levine, it's like, he's a pretty bad defender, but okay. Like, he's guarding the fourth best option. Like, how much damage is he really going to do, you know? Yeah, it becomes more of a problem when you have to, like, scale that up to, like, win real games. And that that's just not in the cards here. Like, if they are, like, the, if they, like, end up as, like, the sixth seed and they got, like, the Cavs in round one, then that's a problem. Because then, like, Mitchell and Garland are just going to run over you. Or if you play, like, the Heat and they get Damon and, G- and they have Damon Jimmy, or you play Toronto and they have Damon Scotty. Like then, okay, then you're kind of screwed. But 
Yeah, I mean, that's what happened in the play-in, right? They had to have Caruso try to guard Jimmy, and it's just like, that was it. If, if he wasn't going to stop him, then like nothing they could do scheme-wise, personnel-wise, was really going to to get the job done. I actually do think Patrick Williams played pretty well against the Akam and OG in the first play-in game. Uh, back to him for a minute. But yeah, so I have uh, I have over 37.5 for some of these reasons. They were a 44-win team last year, which I think you said... Um, They've been on at least a 38-win piece pace each year that they've had DeRozan. So this era, with since they signed DeRozan the past three years, they've been on a 38-win pace. One of the two, one or two of those was a COVID season. Um, and again, the depth, the veteran floor raisers are just there. I think if Caruso can be good enough, or I'm sorry, if Carter can be good enough, that's kind of like the one hinge piece. But it just feels like they can be what they were last year. To your point, so why would they not hit the over again? I'm going to go over as well, but I think it's like 40 wins. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, I don't, it, I don't think it, they'll be. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. It's, it's going to be barely over. They're not going to be like a real threat. And I would also just say they are one injury from like one of their key guys away from this, just collapsing. That is very much in play. If, if Levine misses four months with an injury, if the Rosen gets hurt or if they make moves and just exit all these guys out as another path, then you look at a real under and you look at a real reset, which like honestly like might be the healthier thing for the franchise in some ways mm-hmm. from like a non-revenue standpoint. But if they run this through and see this through. Yeah. We're it's wild that they were a, nearly a bottom five offense with those two guys. <laughs> But I think, but I, but Brennan, I, that doesn't feel wild to me because it, think about what those guys are. As good as they are making shots, what do we know mm-hmm. about? Like as much as like shot making and the skill of one-on-one creation is fetishized, and it's super important because of what it means for you in the playoffs. It's not really the best way to, and, my, and based on what we know, and I think in just my opinion, to sustain really good regular season offense, it just isn't. And like yeah. unless you're so, unless you're so elite at it. Like, you can do it if you have LeBron and Kyrie circa, like, 2017 and a bunch of shooters. You can't really do mm-hmm. it if it's Levine and DeRozan. Well, that's the thing that they don't have is the shooters. That To me, that's, right. that's the big answer, and especially in the regular season, to your point. They don't have guys to space the floor, guys for kickouts. Some of their best players defensively aren't as good offensively, et cetera. And their two players who are their stars, again, I mean, LeBron's like a terrible example to hold compare somebody to, but like they don't get to the line either, Levine and DeRozan. So you're really talking about a heavy diet of contested jumpers. And you're right. That's, that's a tough recipe, but it's just a very strange team. Yeah. All right. Uh, talk about the Pelicans now? Yeah. We'll move on to Schmidt Dua. Does a great newsletter called In the Know. Has been doing a podcast for a very long time of the same name. And we will break down the 2024 New Orleans Pelicans with him and round out the show. Joined now by Schmidt Dua to preview the 2023-24 New Orleans Pelicans. Schmidt, uh, we were joking before. I don't know if it's a joke to you. I think you and I, the last time we were messaging about this team, I think you said you just want to root for a fun team, and uh, I, I feel that deeply. Uh, this is a big season for this team. They were obviously in the in the headlines quite a bit around the draft and whatnot with 
both of their star players, uh, you know, on the on the trade market, depending on who you ask. So uh, I'm excited for this one. Um, let's just jump right in, though. Who do you have for your most important player uh, for this upcoming Pelicans season? The most important player, and I know it may sound obvious, but it's Zion Williamson, who has not played more than 30 games in a season except for once in his career. Uh, This is a big season for him and the Pelicans. Their fates are intertwined. I am uh, hesitant to say that this is the year where everything breaks right and, you know, he plays 70-plus games, but certainly – a good amount of games is the expectation and what people are hoping for. And mm-hmm. the thing with, with Zion is when he's healthy, he's able to lift the team to heights that no other player on the team can bring them to. Uh, you know, I know December standings aren't really all that important, but he had them winning at a good clip. They were very briefly, you know, they touched, they touched the sun a little bit um, when, when they were the first seed in the West. Uh, and then it all came crashing down when he got hurt. They just did not look the same, didn't have the same identity. Uh, I don't think, you know, if you play 75 games, I don't think they're like the shoe in one seat or anything, but I think mm-hmm. they're not a playing team, right? Which is important. And they're likely a home court team, in my opinion, which is important for a small market here to host playoff games, to have playoff games, to generate that revenue. But also I think like a lot of jobs are on the line, depending on how successful the Pelican season is. And he's going to be the single biggest driver of wins. And if this is another season where they end up in the lottery and he's not healthy, I do think this is where they part ways with their current crop of stars. Um, I'm not sure who they decide to keep or which direction they would want to go, but I would be shocked if they were to run it back with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson and CJ McCollum to do it all again the next year and still have leadership intact. Um, You know, I I feel like if this is a disappointing season, you might see um, a changing in who runs the show for the Pelicans. Chris, did you have Zion? You know, I actually had Herb Jones. No, I had Zion. Like it, 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 <laughs> yeah. it has to be Zion, right? Like this, this is. Uh, all respect to Herb Jones, who I love, but Zion is the thing that can take the Pelicans from being like this team that has a lot of interesting pieces, but pieces we're unsure about, and how high they can get to a guy that can literally change the franchise and like help them. It's like, and we just have seen him do stuff that no one else really does and like that is so rare that is you can't get that easily and it would just be fun for anyone who likes basketball who likes watching we like this guy with a weird body type who who can't be guarded in all these different ways do stuff i just want to see that and if he's hurt again i not only does it like i think if i think affect the chances of like being a top four seed or whatever but it just also is going to take so much just energy out of the sales of what this team could be and i just I don't want that for Pelicans fans. I don't want that for that organization. But it's it feels more on the table now just based on how far we are in a Zion's career. It's not like that far in his career, but it's far enough now where it's like kind of got to mm-hmm. be healthy. It's, it's kind of put up or shut up time with Zion's health. 
Yeah, I th- I think you mentioned Schmidt that he uh, <laughs> that they touched the sun, and I think that they literally touched the suns, and he three sixty dunked his way into uh, you know really announcing himself in this team back then, and uh, there was those two games in a week, and and it was kind of the the peak of their season, I I would say. I mean maybe because I felt it so uh, so deeply, um, and then Devin Booker got hurt shortly thereafter, so it was it was a, it was an inflection point in in my corner of the world too, but. Um, just thinking back to that portion of of the year, I, I rewatched a game when both Zion and, and Ingram played, which obviously has you know we we haven't said Ingram's name a ton yet is is rare. Those guys haven't played uh, enough together yet, and that's part of the complication of all this. But what I remember feeling around that time was that the the passing and playing off of his teammates was really like kind of the the step that he had taken forward from the last time we saw him and, and some of the stats back that up, but it's, it's a, such a small sample that I know it can be hard to, to, to kind of pinpoint growth and ups and downs, but what would you say, even not from one year to the next, but maybe just from like rookies eye on to now have been like the, the improvements we have seen and what do you think needs to be the next step beyond that? Surprisingly, I think the biggest step forward he's taken is defense. Uh, I think he used to be a straight up liability on the court. Um, part of it due to his conditioning, uh, part of it just being a young player figuring out the NBA game style and speed. Um, and I think before he got hurt uh, this past season, he was trending towards being not only a positive uh, defensive player, but an impactful defensive player. One who um, all the on off stats, first of all, like, you know, take them for what they are, but uh, they were actually in his favor, you know, and, and I think that's, Saying something is if you can put out a, not just a competent defense, the Pelicans were an elite defense while he was out there. So I'm not trying to argue that he was the driver of that elite defense. Um, you know, he was certainly a, a passenger um, and a participant. But the fact that you can have a unit out there where you're like, okay, I might score 120 points per possession, but I'm also giving up 120 points per possession. And that wasn't the concern with him. I thought would not have happened, you know, when you previously saw him or, or even his rookie year. So I think that was his big step forward. And um, and the other thing is like he, he took a step forward in becoming more of the defensive event generator that you saw at Duke who just had the highlight blocks, had the, the crazy steals and just would, you know, find a way to force a turnover or force a change in possession. And <clears throat> that's where I saw an improvement. And I think, it largely correlates with his conditioning when he has when he's in shape to play on both sides of the court he's you know he's a person who likes to play it with a high motor but if you're just not in shape no matter how much you want to play with a high motor you're not going to be able to you know you're going to find yourself jogging you're going to find yourself taking plays off you're going to find yourself sitting in the corner on offense for multiple possessions in a row and um that aspect i think greatly improved and uh, he's also one of those players that plays himself in a shape as the season goes on. And so like, you know, you were seeing that in December, he was not the guy that he was in early October, you know, uh, when he got hurt in January, he was not the guy that he was in the first few games in November. And so like, it, you were like, okay, this, this is trending upwards. It's cascading towards something. And unfortunately that something was injury. <laughs> that's what it cascaded towards. Uh, so I think that's where he took his, his biggest step up. I would like to see him uh, improve uh, from a rebounding perspective, he's not the greatest defensive rebounder. I think he's an amazing offensive rebounder. But again, some of it's some of it's 
where he's being coached to leak out in transition because he is an extremely dominant force and to put pressure on the rim in in that sense i think if you like go back and watch the the clippers where they had blake griffin and and chris paul and Mm -hmm. deandre jordan um one of the things those teams and in courtesy of 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 alvin gentry i'm the belief he was the one who was the assistant coach under doc then kind of like implemented some of this early early transition stuff where you know off of off of free throws or off of like missed baskets like blake would already be down there deep in the paint sealing off whoever was there and then like you just got to feed him the ball and 1v1 versus Blake in the restricted areas probably going to favor yeah. Blake right and sure. and Zion is is uh, a similar force um in in that area and so some of the rebounding takes a hit in, in that but like mm-hmm. I, I would like to you know I think the team as as a whole relies too much on Jonas Valanciunas to clean up the glass and I think <laughs> Zion um hopefully improves in that area and the second thing i'd like to see him improve at is just like developing a little bit more of an in-between game i I don't need him to be a three-point shooter i don't need him to be a catch and shoot guy and he's not afraid to shoot them he's not ben simmons like he he takes them when they're when they're available and and it makes sense right um but like i think what will really help him is instead of i'm gonna get to the rim every single time and go through three or four defenders can i stop and pop and rise and do a little floater right can can you it's still in the paint, right? You're still like eight to 10 feet away, but that'll, I think, like improve his longevity. Um, just it's less wear and tear. But secondly, like, mm-hmm. I think those are important counters to have, especially in the playoffs is like someone's playing deep drop or someone's giving you that space. And he's very yeah. good at taking that space. But if you can just kind of go over the defense um, and, and, you know, put some stuff up, which he, he started to experiment with. He took yeah. like a few like turnaround jumpers and stuff um, as the season went on. But I, I want that to become more more incorporated. Yeah, and it's just less tiring too, right? I mean, like it's especially for a guy who we talk about it with Giannis, who's stayed way healthier. So if if you're a player who has struggled with health, I would think coming up with adjustments that are not only going to keep the defense honest, but also allow you to calculate out your your physical expenditure more more consistently i think that's kind of just what comes with with learning the game learning your body learning the league all that stuff some numbers to back up what you said before we pivot to uh the guy we're going to be talking about by the end of the year um the team forced almost two percent uh turnovers on on almost two percent more of the possessions when zion was on the court last year his mid range frequency of of all shapes and sizes went up five percentage points last year and his rim percentage uh frequency came down a little bit and then everything passes turnovers and assists all went up which was uh you know what i was pointing out as well so uh the guy is kind of an offense unto himself but that doesn't mean that at 23 there's there's not some places to go i think even if the defense has gotten better i think we'd all like to see him become an even more uh more of a difference maker make good on some of the promise we saw at duke as well um but yeah this this guy is obviously the most important player on this team but let's pivot to some of the less talked about players maybe who we might end up talking about chris who do you have as the uh, new orleans player we'll be talking about by the end of the year so my initial thought was to go uh, Trey Murphy, but the injury to me, I think, just kind of, I wanted to move to someone else. I still think we still could talk about him. It's not like he's necessarily going to be out the whole year. But I went Dyson Daniels. I really went, when going back and watching some of his film, in particular on defense, very intrigued. 
he is like willing was willing as a very young rookie to play defense, challenge defense, to step up in that way. I think Very was aware of like what he was and what he isn't. And I think that's a really good sign for someone that young to be kind of aware of like what he's kind of going through. The challenge is the offense. I mean, you can go look at his numbers anywhere, counting stats, advanced numbers, whatever, and the offense is tricky. I mean, cleaning the glass, if you look at his three-point accuracy, 31%, 35% for the corners, 29% on non-corners. Those are numbers that are, like, brutal. If you're going to be a wing, that's going to stick in the league. But I believe in the framework. I believe in the size. I'm really fascinated by Dyson Daniels, and I want to see him, you know, grow out of playing 57 games last year, under 20 minutes a game, and let's let's see if that role can get boosted. Let me ask you both this: If you had to bet on one of him or Herb Jones to be a more competent offensive player in two years, who would you bet figures who has a better chance of figuring it out? Man, that is uh, a tough question. I think last year at draft time, I would have said no question, Dyson. Um, I was a pretty big on Dyson coming into the, into the draft. Uh, Herb has improved a ton on offense specifically. I think he's just very aware, like you said about Dyson, like of what, what he is and what he isn't. And as a cutter, as a slasher, as a transition guy, as a finisher, um, Herb knows where he, you know, he can slot in. The problem with, with Herb Jones is that good teams force guys like Herb uh, to increase their usage on offense. And when guys like Herb are increasing their their usage on offense, it means very like you know the directly like Zion or BI or, or Trey or someone else is is decreasing their usage. That usage is coming from somewhere, right? There's a set number of possessions. And so I'm not confident that like Herb's someone that can eat up a bunch of offensive possessions come playoffs where like, hey, we're going to deploy the Tony Allen approach on you and either you do something or you don't, but like Zion's not beating us or, or Brandon's not beating us, you're going to beat us. And and that's a prospect that scares me. Um, but I think you could say like Dyson is kind of like worse off in the regard that he's a lower usage player than Herb and he doesn't necessarily have the same I guess like cutting acumen yet, or like even in transition, like he's not definitely not the finisher that Herb is. Um, and Herb's just better at the free throw line, which is huge. And I think Dyson's a little bit afraid to get to the line at the moment because he's not the greatest there. Um, certainly something that he puts in a lot of work in. Where what Dyson would need to do to become a better offensive player than Herb is one of them's got to win the battle of who can become a reliable three-point shooter, a catch-and-shoot guy. Because Dyson, unfortunately, you know, like his best traits may be putting him on the ball. He's just never going to be a better on-ball option than Brandon Ingram or CJ McCollum or no. uh, Zion Williamson, not in the short term, right? It's just, you know, that's something like for developmentally, you, you feed him possessions, you get you empower him to make decisions, and, you know, hopefully the returns pay off down the road, but you're, ne- you're never going to get the ball to him in clutch and be like, you, you know, you're the guy, like make, make, yeah. um, but he's got to play. I think his like ability to play the connector role is, is the fact that he's an elite rebounder for his position. Um, and I think his shot mechanics are actually very, very, very good. The problem is he's just got to get the shot volume. He can't be a guy that takes three field goals attempts a game because that guy does not exist and teams will not guard him. And, and there's just, you'll just be a massive, massive sink on offense. But because of his other skills, he has a pathway to be much better offensive player than Herb, but it's, it's all going to depend on his level of aggression on offense and which one of those two can, can sort of 
become the superior three-point shooter. Because if they're both going to be bad three-point shooters, Herb's going to be the better offensive player. He's just a better finisher and more aggressive at the rim. I had EJ Liddell as my guy that we're going to be talking about. I'm not sure if he's going to play is kind of the, the, the part of it that maybe is worth talking about here. But, you know, two years of solid three-point shooting in college looked physically back to normal i mean yeah i guess you know whatever your your mileage may vary on that at summer league this year and to me just feels like the kind of player that we've already seen succeed on this team with the types of lineups that they put out there you know guys like Najee marshall even larry nance like there's just a vision for what liddell can do and ideally you know be a little bit more of an offensive weapon as a scorer than those guys but i just think of on a team that it's it pretty much has to be Dyson or him, you know, uh, as far as what you're looking for somebody to, to potentially break out. I think Trey Murphy's already gotten talked about personally. So, like, you know, maybe the, the mainstream NBA fan is going to really know his name. But, you know, I think I think he's proven himself already. So what do you think, Schmidt? Is, is this guy going to get time this year? Is he somebody that, you know, by March we like get pretty intrigued by or is it still a year away? He has a more difficult pathway than Dyson to break into the rotation. Um, but this is a team that severely lacks big man depth. And outside of JV, their big men are known to get hurt and miss time. So um, <clears throat> they like to close with Larry Nance at the five for, for most of their games. And that's the look they like to deploy. And EJ kind of fits that Larry Nance mold where it's like, okay, you're a tweener big. Um, you can play, make a little, you can connect a little, you can kind of offer some weak side rim protection. You can do, you can do Larry Nance ish things, right? You know, Larry might be a better athlete. I think EJ's a better scorer, a better offensive threat. Um, so if, and when Larry misses time, I'm certain they're going to try to incorporate EJ in uh, for bur- bursts, right? You know, you give him two, three-minute stretches. You want to play him with your best players. You don't want to put him with, uh, you, you don't want to put him with like an all bench lineup. You don't want him out there with no shooting and no creation and, and and all of that. But you put him out there with Zion and CJ and Bi, and you're like, okay, you you know, you're you're focusing on two or three things. You're really not trying to extend your role into something you're not. You just focus on those like two or three goals and try to be good, then maybe he can start working his way into the rotation. I think that's, that's the way he has to crack it. Um, The other thing is, again, we talked about rebounding. None of these guys that I've named are rebounders. So if he can prove Mm -hmm. day one, that he's going to be the guy that get like attacks the defensive glass and can, can terminate uh, possessions that way, then he's going to get minutes because this team needs rebounding. Um, Unfortunately for him, like that they can also play Dyson at the four. Like, they can play Dyson one, two, three, four, maybe five, depending on whatever, you know, rotation. They've played Herb at the five. Dyson's a better rebounder and honestly a better rim protector in my opinion than, than Herb. So like uh he he's gotta convince the coaching staff that he can provide something other than Dyson in those minutes. Um mm-hmm. and and yeah, that's that's gonna be his pathway. So uh, I'm optimistic. I, I think he is a solid shooter, and that is probably what's going to get him on the court. Who did you have for the guy we're going to be talking about? I think it has to be Brandon Ingram. Uh, surprisingly, you know, like, again, it, it should, it's, 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 it might is, be an is obvious. He, 
Yeah, is he not already like we know what this guy is? Like, is this like to just like isn't he already kind of Brandon Ingram is Brandon Ingram? Like, I don't feel like there is like unless he's gonna is he? Are you saying like can he get to like a top fifteen level? Is that kind of where we're wondering where this is headed? Is that your optimism there? So, so the reason he's got to be the person you're talking about, um, there's there's a few things going on here. First of all, he's going to be extension eligible, um, and that's he's going to potentially have the Supermax on the line depending on his performance this season. So he's got that riding for him. If he, if he qualifies for an All-NBA team, you know, there's that. Two, like, what, like with Zion, kind of his future and the Pelicans' future, like they're intertwined. If he has a bad season, you think of the deals that they have allegedly turned down or potentially turned down or, or whatever the case may be to keep Brandon Ingram. They believe in this guy. Had an opportunity to get Scoot Henderson not moving Brandon Ingram for him, right? I had an opportunity to throw your name in the KD sweepstakes back in the day you know, before the Suns got him, um, <clears throat> not putting Brandon Ingram in that deal. Damian Lillard, not putting Brandon Ingram in that deal. So, like, there's a number of pathways that they could have gone down, both from a legitimate star standpoint and a resetting your clock and betting on somebody else standpoint that they have actively chosen not to pursue um, because they believe in him that much. And typically when teams believe in guys that much, they're going to hand him whatever money he wants. He's going to be eligible for the 30% max. Is he going to be eligible for 35? I don't know. However, the thing with Brandon Ingram is he's been inconsistent. Uh, He's been injured almost as much as Zion, although not quite as much as Zion, but he misses um, almost 30 games a year, right? And, and that's that's tough to build around when your your other guy is also missing that much time. So if this is one of those years where he's not taking that step towards, you know, like he may not get all NBA, but if he's not at least entering himself in that conversation, then they have to seriously decide how they want to approach the summer where he is extension eligible. Do you want to hand him that five-year contract, pay him, you know, $240 million or whatever that number is going to be? I don't know what that number is going to be. And yeah. decide, hey, like, we're a team that hasn't won at a high level, but we're going to continue to invest in a guy that also hasn't won at a high level. You look at his career, mm-hmm. last season, this past season, was the only time he's had a winning season in his whole career. The only time. And sure, like circumstances have been bad. Zion missed all that time. But it's not like B.I. was like the driver behind the winning season. Like a lot of those wins came when Zion was healthy, right? Um, when when B.I. first came back from injury, they went like two for 13 over a 15-game stretch when he first came back. And it's like that should not be happening if this is a yeah. guy that you're going to build around. So it's a pivotal season for him. He's got to show that. He's consistently like a top 25, top 20, top 50, like something, something approaching that rather than a guy that's closer to top 50, which is like, I think depending on who you ask, there's a lot of people who think like his impact's probably closer to that to a top 50 player. And then you ask some other folks, you're like, no, he's got everything. He's got the, you know, he can rebound, he can play make, he can shoot score from anywhere, three level score. Like he's a top 25 guy, no question. And so like, I think there is a question if he's a top 25 guy, and this is a year for him to solidify that he is. And if he's not, then they have to move in a different direction. Yeah, those are the contracts that that screw teams. You know, Zach Levine. Like the, these are the these are the ones that if you do it when you're not sure and and that 
there is a question around some element of of whether they can be a driver of winning as one of the best players on a championship team but yet you pay them like they are then that's really how you get yourself into trouble so i think it's a great call we can zoom through the rest of this i think best lineup actually is a, is a great place to jump i had some stats Sion and ingram played 241 minutes together last year that was a plus 13 net rating for whatever that's worth they were i believe seven and five when both players played uh in, in games and then uh this one was kind of interesting 155 total passes between the two of them in those 241 minutes versus 578 passes between Zion and CJ in the 620 minutes that they played together. Just a little bit of a, you know, random way to show it, but those guys have not been incorporated together quite as much. You know, at times it's just one of them screening for the other. It it really can be that simple, but again, you got to see it for a long period of time, I think. So last year, the best lineup for this team, which we can move to now was McCollum, Murphy, Ingram, Herb, Jones, uh, and Larry Nance of the high volume lineups. So, uh, Chris, I'll let you go. What is your best lineup this year for the Pelicans? Which which one do you think by the end of the year is going to be the the best statistically? So this this is a little bit of a tricky one because as you, you we've hit on I think kind of talking around this injuries last year really I think impacted a lot of us being able to project a lot of this forward. Like, I think that is a real part of this. I think you are doing some bit of projection with this. I think that is inherently part of the work we have to do with this team is is guessing a little bit. So I'm willing to be told that this is wrong and stupid, uh, but Lord knows. So I just went with the the five guys that I like, and I skewed a little bit smaller. I went CJ, who we haven't really talked about, but, like, he's still a good player. Like, he's still a good player who's going to get buckets. Trey Murphy, when he gets back, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Larry Nance. It has, it has some size. It can switch a little bit with Larry. He can do some of the centery things that Zion, like maybe you don't want to have him do if you're trying to keep him healthy. He can. Larry doesn't love to do the hey, can you like guard Joel and beat for a couple possession stuff because he's not that big, but he can do it if you ask him to do it and you incentivize him to do it. You get all your shooting on the floor. It's really long on the wing. It's just putting the talent that I trust to function on on both ends of the floor, all on the floor together anchored by Zion let's see what happens yeah it's 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 the 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 one from last year that I listed but with Zion and and Herb Jones place and I think I think that makes absolute sense I uh I went away from Trey just because I am uncertain but I think if he's able to get back to relatively normal the shooting there I would imagine he's going to drive some of their better lineups because it's the NBA and and shooting tends to do that so I'll go real quick my best lineup for the 2024 New Orleans Pelicans CJ McCollum yes you're right he is uh going to orchestrate and initiate and, and get buckets and be a floor spacer i have herb jones here i think the off ball and spot up and cutting and transition he has figured out how to be a good offensive player for the most part in the regular season i think brandon ingram will be in this lineup of course two-way wing we know what brandon ingram is he has to be out there for them to be at their best Zion williamson he is an offense if he's out there uh we'll, we'll be pretty happy and then larry nance that's their closing center they like to switch they like to be five out they like to be versatile and nance is their answer there so uh that's my five who do you have schmidt i'm going to preface this by saying that i am not a fan of the nance at the five lineups i know statistically they were good i have zero faith in them versus like any like legitimate team and teams that are big um i i just think a lot of the 
a lot of the reason those Nants at the five lineups were really good was one Zion was just destroying everything in his path at that time. And two, a lot of those lineups inter, uh, overlapped with Jose uh, as well. So it was like the three-man trio of Jose, Zion, Larry. Those lineups demolished opponents from the second quarter, like the first few minutes to like the six-minute mark, whatever, the first time out. In mm-hmm. those minutes, they would just destroy teams, just absolutely destroy teams. And I think the bulk of the net rating was built in those minutes. Um, and I think, like, in the fourth quarter versus bad teams, similarly, like the Zion and, and, and Larry, like, they, they're built to beat bad teams. Sure. Second you run into, like, Memphis. The second you run into Milwaukee. Um, they got their butts kicked by the Jazz multiple times. They got their butts kicked by the magic who weren't a good team because they couldn't match with the size. I think Larry at the fives, like in my opinion, a gimmick uh, and a gimmick okay. that works well against bad teams. Um, but so what's your five knowing, knowing that that's a gimmick and knowing that that's how they want to play. Like, and like, I think statistically their best five lineup in the get, like from the beginning is probably just going to be the one they used last year, which is CJ, uh, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Larry Nance, and Zion. So two non-shooters, a Zion and CJ and Brandon. They're just, for whatever reason, that's going to be a very good lineup because, the well, not for whatever reason, for the reasons I stated above. Like they're going to beat some a lot of bad teams by a very bad, yeah. like, big margin, and the the games they're going to lose is going to be a small margin. And so like the net ratings are going to be insane. Uh, the lineups that I really really want to see are. Uh, I want to see like an all shooting lineup with Zion. So let me give me CJ, Brandon Ingram, Trey, Zion, and literally anybody else who can shoot. So <laughs> if, if that happens to be Jordan Hawkins, I want to see it. You know, I just want to see like what the offensive like can, like the offense can get to. But most likely, that fifth guy is probably going to be Herb. Um, so like we're, we're going to get Zion at the five or, or Herb at the five. So I think that mm-hmm. would be an interesting crew. Um, I want to see I want to see a Zion and JV based lineup that has shooters. So CJ, Trey, Brandon, Zion, JV. The, yeah, I could see that one being statistically good too. If right. if, so like, if I mean all of this is assuming health, right? But like that one does feel like you could get there because it it cleans up some of the rebounding and size and, and interior stuff. That's the big thing is like, can you do the opposite gimmick where you're generating possessions by hitting the glass? You know, the offensive mm-hmm. glass. You're generating possessions. Well, you're not generating them, but like you're maintaining possession efficiency by getting to the line a million times because you're spaced out and you got two bruisers, you know, inside. Um, you're not giving up possession efficiency on the other end because Larry can't rebound the ball, you know, or like Herb can't rebound the ball. Like that that's something I want to see them play around with more is like, hey, get your two big bruisers and put shooters around them and see if you can get creative with it. Um I am rooting for the lineup I'm rooting uh for that I hope materializes is Dyson, Trey, BI, Zion, and Herb. That's the lineup I'm rooting for is like you know, instead of Larry, try it with Dyson. You have more of a playmaker and just sprint, just play in transition the whole time. Like, see what, see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, we'll see. I the, What I really want is for them to get some sort of a big man that can shoot. Like, if Larry could shoot threes, I would love that. But you just give up so much in the math game with him not rebounding well and him just really not being an offensive threat in any any sense so like the typically the advantages of going small are we're going to space you out we're going to get up a lot of threes and that's going to be our trade-off for not rebounding the ball right that's 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 how we're going to balance it out and and because we shoot a lot of threes we're probably going to get to the rim a lot too mm-hmm. well 
you lose that with Larry because what they do is they just put their their big man on Larry and plant him in the paint. You're like, all right, cool. Larry's not going to take yeah. those three, so you're not getting to the rim a lot. Well, Zion's going to get to the rim no, no matter what. But like, you're losing that. You're losing the three point mm-hmm. volume. You're losing the rebounding math. So the only thing you're gaining out of it is their ability to switch one through five. Uh, what they were very, very good at in generating turnovers. So, like, that's kind of how they did it. And then they relied on Zion being the most, like, efficient offensive machine that this franchise has ever seen. Like, all right, you just go get us points. And it's like, cool. Like, sure. he will create opportunities, which is why I think it's a gimmick. It's like, he's going to do that, in my opinion, regardless of who's on the court. So, like, let's try to find a better fit there. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he's uh, Giannis is obviously a, a game-changing defender in a way that Zion isn't, but it, it, as far as how you can build teams and some of the pitfalls you want to avoid, I do think the roster construction and lineup construction, like they just allow you to get away with stuff because they're going to create efficient possessions because they just live in the paint like that. And it's 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 going to be interesting. I guess we're already so far into Zion's career, but like how they work around that versus how the Bucks did and, and vice versa. I think we hit on best and worst case pretty uh pretty well throughout this um you know they have the potential to be a top four team in the west they already were for a portion of last year that wasn't small and worst case i think schmidt said it well this was kind of what i had of like people's jobs are going to be lost whether that's players coaches executives uh if if things don't feel better and win the win the win column doesn't show that they're better uh people will will be moved on from let's say but the over under is 44 and a half i had the under feel bad saying that but uh, here's the case i mean they were a 46 win win team statistically last season with only 73 combined games from ingram and zion like that's the starting point but i also think the depth feels a little more shaky with graham and richardson gone the, the depth is just younger i don't i guess i don't want to say shaky but the vets are gone and then alvarado and murphy dealing with injuries um they i didn't we didn't bring this up they don't run which you mentioned a little bit schmidt so i I would like to see them do that more they also got a little lucky defensively last season um teams only shot 34 percent from three against them which was like a big decrease from the previous year and that tends to be random i you know i don't think anything really about their defense like contributed to that too too much where it would jump that way so you would expect that to regress do they get worse statistically on defense just as a result lose a half a game 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 and a half more because of that and and then on the flip side it's like okay but last year could have also just been a worst case scenario health wise so it's a it's one i would not bet but i had the under what did you have chris i just went over i'm in my optimistic era uh just give me i'm gonna i'm gonna just give me 60 games of zion healthier of ingram daniels maybe take a step forward they're just healthier and like even with the straight murphy injury hanging over them I'm just going to will into the universe a slightly more normal, less chaotic season for this team and bet on the town a little bit and hope for good things in the world. And let's get to like 48 wins. I'm not confident in that though. Not at all. I love the, I love the, the smiling and the, you know, just the spring meadow waterfalls, all the good vibes are are coming in. What do you got? Yeah. And they, I'm going to put on Phoebe Bridges after this and cry. So like, what, what, who am I to say, Brendan? Yeah. You just, it's balanced. That's all. Yeah. Look, my my advice for people, you know, uh, who might want to gamble on the Pelicans as someone who's covered them for a very long time. Do not ever put your money on this team. You will regret it. That's fair. Um, But if you are degenerate, if you are degenerate and you are optimistic, the reason to be optimistic is they hold a treasure chest worth of assets 
I think people know mm. their jobs are on the line. They're starting the season in the tax for the first time ever. They're in the tax. Like, obviously, like, they can get out of it by the end of the season, yada, yada, yada. To me, my reading of the tea leaves is they are prepared to stay in the tax and make a move for somebody that's a true needle mover. I, I, I think they know what's at stake here. So if you're an optimist, that's what you're betting on, you know, by by December or January or February, whenever the trade deadline rolls around, they have someone else that's on their team that can make a significant impact or multiple, you know, someone else. So that's, you know, if you're a true degenerate, that's your light at the end of the tunnel. Love it. Oh, oh sorry. Right. I didn't mention, I would say go under. I would say go under. Okay. Be safe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not fully like advice, you know, I guess the, the trademark slogan on, no. on our network is it's not gambling not advice, gambling. but yeah. uh, even in that, it's more just like an analysis of the season. So, uh, you know, we, we don't want to tell people how to spend their money, but yeah, I think um, there's just so many ifs here. I mean, that's, that's obvious, but it's, it's a, it's a good line given where they were last year combined with the fact that there is a significant upside and a significant downside. It's, it's a weird one for sure, but that will wrap us up. You can check Schmidt out at the, in the no newsletter. He is at fear the Brown on X Twitter, whatever you'd like to call that website. And he does great stuff. Like you said, he's been covering this team as long as I can remember. I mean, I'm not that old, but you know, it does awesome work over there. So uh, follow him. We'll be back with more previews of the Atlanta Hawks uh, Minnesota Timberwolves on Wednesday with Brad Rowland, maybe another guest. We'll see what we can cook up there. Maybe Damian Lillard will be on a different team by Wednesday when we next see you guys. Until then, enjoy the hoops, follow and subscribe to us everywhere, and we will catch you then. <laughs>